Let's turn back to that chapter, uh, John chapter 11, and these very well-known verses, although I do want to consider with you, I want us to take into consideration the whole of the episode that we've just been reading about. Verse 25, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Before I went into the ministry, it was a long time ago. And uh, I was uh, an engineer in a big factory in Greenock, which is a place, a town near Glasgow. And we used to call the whole area around the central belt there Silicon Glen. Because uh, within that area, there were a number of factories that made silicon chips. Because in the 1980s, uh, it was the beginning of the whole computer explosion. And factories had been set up in Scotland, no doubt given help by government grants to manufacture chips on a big scale. Anyway, I was privileged to be an engineer in one of those factories, and it was tremendous fun. It was really, really a great time to be an engineer, and it was a great industry to belong to. In any case, one of my favorite shifts was the night shift, and uh, night shifts are always difficult, but we used to, I uh, got on really well with the guys I was working with, and we used to sit down and have probably a prolonged dinner around about two o'clock in the morning, especially if the production line was going okay. We had nothing to worry about. The responsibilities were less at night shift than they were on day shift. So we used to sit and we used to have a long conversation. And sometimes that conversation drifted on to religion. And I can remember on one occasion, one particular gentleman who was, who was provocative to say the least, he used to wind me up uh, with difficult questions. We got onto the topic of what's impossible and what's not. So I was suitably baited by this question, and I said to him, I said, Peter, it is impossible. How, po- how possible, he said, I said, is it for a man to, to uh, survive underwater for two hours? And there was a little silence, and his answer was this, finite but small. And I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that discussion. Not least because technically, statistically, he was right. We got on to talking about how, well, how was this possible? Because I, I had never studied statistically, statistics properly in university. I'd always studied engineers, engineering. And I said, well, you'll have to explain to me what you mean by finite. By well, he said this. He says, I know what the science tells you, but in actual fact, if you were to really prove how impossible it was for hu- any human being to exist underwater for two hours, you would have to submerge every single human being underwater until that time. You actually don't know how possible it is. There might be that one in a billion guy or girl who might survive underwater for two, two hours. And so we go on to this impossibility argument because I was trying to share with them the miracles. The miracles are always 
a great way to be able to share Jesus. Miracles, by their very nature, are impossible. If they were possible, they wouldn't be miracles. By definition. Now, I don't know on the scale of possibility or impossibility how each miracle fits on the spectrum of things. But it's pretty impossible to me for anybody to walk on water. Science tells you it's just simply impossible. And empirical data will tell you also that it is physically impossible for anyone to walk on water. But on the scale of things, I don't know how possible it is or otherwise. It's the same with feeding of the 5,000. It's the same with a person who's deaf. And all of a sudden, at the word of Jesus, their ears are open. But I do know this. That a man who has been dead and in the grave for four days is dead. I don't know if it's right to speak about some miracles being more spectacular than others. What makes a miracle a miracle, like I say, is that it is impossible. It's impossible to change water into wine. So if it happens, it's a miracle. It's against what we call the norms or the laws of nature. It's impossible for anyone to feed 5,000 people, starting off with five rolls and two fish. But raising the dead, to me, is a category by itself. There's something particularly impossible about that. Death, after all, is the final enemy. Once a person dies, what makes death so awful is the very impossibility of reversing the process. Nobody, but nobody can do that. No power on earth. No intelligence. You simply cannot stop. You can, you can try and stop a person dying by trying to give medication or surgery or whatever help that person can get. Sometimes, in some circumstances. But once that person has died, There is nothing anyone can do, however rich or powerful or influential, death is final. And it's also so personal. We all know someone who has died. We further know that none of us can escape death. We're all going to die at some point in time. So what makes this episode so breathtaking? Here is a man who really died, this man Lazarus, and yet he comes alive again. Now stop for a moment and just let's reflect on that one fact. Because I think those of us who perhaps have grown up with the Bible, we tend to lose sight of the majesty and the wonder And how breathtaking something like this is. Either this did not happen, in which case, let's just throw the Bible out. Let's just all go home. Or it did happen, in which case, this is a game changer. It is the game changer of all time. It has to be. If I was to discover 
that this didn't happen or that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if I was to discover that this is only in the Bible in order to give us some kind of encouragement, that's what people say, isn't it? Well, you don't want to believe it actually really happened. But the value of an episode like this or a chapter like this is that it gives people encouragement to look to new seasons and new life and new hopes and new dreams. And You've heard it. It's a load of baloney, isn't it? It really is when people start talking like that. And really what they're trying to say is, I'm trying to find a way of talking about the Bible without actually believing it. But if you don't believe the Bible, if you don't believe that this actually happened, I say, let's just throw it out. It's not just me that says it. No less than the Apostle Paul, he says exactly the same thing. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you think I'm being blunt, then read him. He says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then let's eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Our preaching is in vain. We've we've wasted our time because there's nothing in the gospel. There's no truth in it whatsoever if it's not true. Same is true for this story. If this is not about a real man who really died on a, on a particular day at a particular time and he came to life again, then there's no value whatsoever in it. None whatsoever. It just, you can consign it to the realms of fairy tale and myth. But can I tell you this? If it did happen, if this, do you know what this means? Do you know what this means? If this really truly happened, it means that the most important religious question of all time is answered. What's the most, what's the most important religious question of all time? Well, I'll tell you what my, my most important religious question. If I wasn't a Christian, I reckon I would be asking just one question. And the question would be this. Who, if anyone, has the key to life and death? Because to me, that's what's gonna, that's what's gonna make the difference. Who, if anyone, has the key to life and death? I don't care how fancy your temple is. I don't care how how devout your priests are. I don't care what religious rituals and festivals and feasts that you go through. I don't really want to join in in any of these things because you haven't answered my question. Because when it comes to religion, I want to know one thing. And the one thing is this. Who has the key to life and death? And the reason I'm asking that is because we're all going to die. Because if there is someone out there that has the key to life and death, that's what I want. That's what's going to make the difference. That's who I'm going to believe. Because of how impossible death is. Or life after death is. Or rather life from the grave is. It is utterly impossible. Humankind, in all its wisdom and its, all its learning and advancement, cannot and will not reverse the process of death. Nobody has that key. Except one person. That's why I'm a Christian. 
It's not because I was brought up in a Christian home. It's not because I've, I've, I somehow am more comforted by aspects of the Christian religion or no more Christians than anyone else. It is because this one factor divide, it separates Jesus from every other religious leader in the world. He has the key to life and death. Now, to me, that is a life-changing moment. When you discover that, that is a life-changing Let me tell you why. Because if he can do it for one person, it means that he has, he possesses the power to do it for others. It means that he is the only person that ever walked the face of the earth that was able to reverse this impossible process. And he was able to bring a man back from the dead. Do you realize, can you imagine if some clever doctor, scientist somewhere ever discovered that? Can you imagine if someone somewhere in some university discovered some kind of injection in which you could inject a person into a person who had died and bring them back to life? The whole world would stop. Every media company in the world would descend on that university. And everybody would want, be wanting to save it. It wouldn't matter how much that injection would cost. You would want that syringe, wouldn't you? You'd want to keep it in a cupboard very safe for when you died. Because that was the syringe that would take you back from the dead. It would be a life changer, wouldn't it? Nobody would deny that. And yet, here is a man who has done it. And nobody's interested. That to me is the most shocking fact of all. That Jesus has proved his power, his uniqueness over life and death. And yet, if you go and ask Joe Average in the street, if you can share that with them, they'll look at you as if you would come off a different planet. Until, of course, God's Spirit works in people's hearts. That's what we pray for most of all tonight. We've got to believe that there are people out there, perhaps even people in here, and God is working in their hearts and opening up this great, wonderful, wonderful truth in which Jesus becomes revealed for who he is. Because that's what it's all about. Actually, this story is not really about Lazarus, is it? It's about Jesus. Because the fact that Lazarus actually rises from the dead four days after he has been buried. He's wrapped in all of these cloths that they used to wrap a dead body in, like bandages over and over and over again. And he's still got the bandages on him to prove that he'd been pronounced dead and he's been there for four days and he's living proof now that Jesus has this literally living proof that Jesus has this extraordinary power And so you would think, wouldn't you, that all of those who saw him and witnessed Lazarus walking out of the tomb, you would think that they would immediately fall down and worship Jesus, recognizing that he is God once and for all. And yet these are the very people who want to kill Jesus, even after having seen what he has done. That amazes me. It really shocks me to think that people can hate him so much after watching what he can do. 
And the truth is that this miracle, it points back to Jesus himself, logically, doesn't it? So we have to ask ourselves, well, what is it about Jesus that makes him so unique? What is it about him that gives him this power over life and death? Well, the only way you can find that out is by reading about him in the Bible. It's only in the Bible and only the Bible that gives us the information as to who he was and his identity. And that's the most important question that you can ask. If you've thought about this before, then let me, let me encourage you so much to go on a journey and find out who Jesus is. You'll find out some fascinating, not just fascinating, but life-changing facts. First of all, this wasn't the only miracle that he did. Miracles were regular as he made his way from town to village, from street to house to house. In fact, that was his reputation. So much so that people brought their sick and their lame and their crippled to, for him, for them to be healed by Jesus. That was his reputation. Because he knew, they knew that somehow or other, he possessed this power that nobody else had ever possessed and that nobody else has ever possessed since. Now, I'm asking the question, what is it about him? What is it about him that gives him that power? Well, in order to answer that question, you have to ask, well, what kind of miracles did he do? And you'll find that every single miracle, every single time that he did something like this, it proved only these kind of things could be done by God. Let's just think about what he's doing here. Giving life back to a dead person. Only God has the authority. God is the one who's given us our lives in the first place. We owe everything we are to God. God has has brought us into this world. And so only God can reverse the process of death and bring us back to life from the dead. So the power that Jesus possesses is divine power. It can only be given to him if God gave it to him. It's the same with everything else that he does, whether he's healing the blind person or whether he's giving, whether he's walking on water, everything shows an authority that is breathtaking, that is simply unprecedented in the world. But more than that, when you look into the character of Jesus, you'll find some some unique aspects of his character. He claimed to have a relationship with God that was quite unique, in which he called God his father. Now, for the Jewish ruling leaders, the religious leaders of the time, that's the one thing that they hated of us, that he was making himself equal with God. To that extent, they were absolutely right. He was making himself equal with God because he was equal with God. And that's what explains the miracles. What explains the miracles is that Jesus is God. And everything about the life of Jesus adds up to this. You can't get away from it. If you really read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, with an open mind, what you'll discover is this very thing. That Jesus, the only way you can explain his life and his character is that he is who he says he was, the son of God, which meant, it's another way of saying God himself. And so this chapter points back to Jesus. It points our attention to Jesus and it draws our attention and it proves to us. It's one more indicator 
that Jesus rises above every other religious leader, no matter how devout they are. There's plenty of devout people in the world. There's plenty of do-gooders in the world. There's loads of priests and monks and all kinds of people who have done horrible things to themselves in order to humble themselves and to live, live lives that are self with self-inflicted poverty and suffering and, and all kinds of things in order to prove how religious they are. But it's not worth a scrap. Jesus is different. Jesus is separate from every other religion in the world. And that's why I believe in him tonight. That's why I trust in him. That's why I have every confidence in his word. And particularly when he comes to to give this tremendous promise. Now, here's where the link comes in. Here's the same Jesus. And he's just about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's just about to prove his power. And this is what he says to Martha. Martha comes to him. She's completely distraught. Not just that her brother has died, but that where was Jesus when it happened? And she's quite naturally and logically asking, Lord, why were you not here when my brother was ill, when he needed you? And Jesus answered her. Your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now listen to this. Because here's where the gospel hangs tonight. I, this is Jesus' words. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live. Even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now, here's the, if you like, if I can use these, this theological, here's the theology behind what Jesus is about to do. Jesus is about to simply say, Lazarus, come out of the grave. And he's going to do it. Lazarus is going to hear. He's going to miraculously hear the voice of Jesus. And he's going to walk out. That's what Jesus, that's the proof of it. But here's the theology. Here's the basis of it. Here's what Jesus has to say to us tonight about resurrection, about life from the dead. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you see what he's doing? He's actually identifying himself with what he is about to do to Lazarus. He's saying this is not just about the power that I have in raising someone from the dead. This is about me coming into the world in order to rise myself from the dead. Do you know what that means? If Jesus himself is going to rise himself from the dead, that means he has to die. That means he's going to die. And he did die. We thought about that this morning during communion. We were thinking together about how how the religious leaders of the day, they hated him and they plotted against him and they arrested him and they handed him over to Pilate and to the authorities and they condemned him to crucifixion. 
But we also discovered this morning afresh how on the cross Jesus took our guilt as our sacrifice so that because Jesus died for us, our sin could be set free. Now, how did he finally bring that to to fruition? By rising from the dead three days after Jesus died on the cross. The grave was empty. The tomb was empty. The angel said to the women and the disciples, He is not here. Come and see the place where he lay. He is risen. And that's why the Christian message is the most glorious message you'll ever find anywhere in the world. Because it really happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why we can say with 100% authority this evening that this promise is the truth. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in... Let's look just for a few moments because with this I close. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. What's he talking about? He's talking... He's looking forward. He's pointing forward to that moment when... Those who believe in him will die. And he's acknowledging that that's the way it's going to be for everyone. Even if you were a Christian. Even as Christians, we are going to come to the end of life as we know it here in this world. Yet Jesus is saying it's not the end. It's only the end of life as we know it here in this fallen, miserable world. He says he will live even though he dies. What he's pointing forward to is a glorious day in the future when Jesus will return. And when, like the Apostle Paul tells us, the graves will be opened, the trumpet will sound, and at the voice of the command of Jesus, the graves will be opened, and the dead in Christ will rise. They will be reunited in glorious bodies with their souls and go forever to be with the Lord. Even people who have been dead for thousands of years. I don't know how God's going to do it. You might say, well, hold on a minute. We're talking about people who have been dead for two, three thousand years. There's nothing left of them. You're talking people who have been buried at sea. They're gone. They've disappeared. How's God going to do that? I don't know how he's going to do it. But the same God that can bring a universe out of nothing can bring about my resurrection. If he can say light, if he can say light, there'll be planets and stars, the sun and the moon and the the galaxies. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And that's important because God willed it to happen. And he'll will resurrection to happen one day. How do I know? Because he said it. You know, the surest thing I have in this world tonight is the word of God The promise of God. I don't need to know how he's going to do it. All I need to know is that he always keeps his promise and he will do it. And if I've been in the grave for a thousand years before Jesus comes, I know that in that thousand years, my resurrected body will rise again. My perfected, glorified body will rise again reunited with my soul and will go forever to be with the Lord. But that's not all that he says. Read on, because there's a twofold promise in this in this verse. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. That's what we've just spoken about. And whoever lives 
and believes in me will never die. Do you know what that means? It means that when it comes time for God's people to die, they actually won't die. Because for them, the experience of death will be stepping into glory. You must have asked this question. And anybody who says they don't have never asked this question, I don't believe you. You must have asked this question. What's it like to die? I don't believe there's anybody who lives that hasn't asked that question. I don't mean it. I, I'm not talking about the pain and the misery of illness or terminal illness or whatever. That's in this life. I'm asking, what's it like to die? To actually die? I don't know the answer to that question. Because I've never been there. I've never, I've never come back. But I do know this. That for a person who follows Jesus by faith, death is a doorway into heaven. This is the way the catechism puts it. Westminster Catechism puts it. The souls of believers are at their death, made perfect in holiness. And do immediately pass into glory. Listen to this. Immediately they pass into glory. In other words, that's not a dying at all. That's immediately passing into glory. And their bodies being still united to Christ, they rest in the grave until the resurrection. So that's the twofold message in this verse. There's what it means to die if we're dying in Christ, which is stepping into glory. But there's also the waiting in which the body is placed in the grave. And even although that body is non-existent in a thousand years time, when Jesus comes again and commands the resurrection, then that day will show his power. And it's the consummation of all that he's planned to do in bringing the dead to life again. And so we will forever be with the Lord. I can't think of a greater message to tell London this evening than that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that he who believes in him, though he were dead, even although he dies, yet we will live. And he who lives and believes in him will never die. And I would invite you tonight, if you don't believe in him, to come to him. To turn away from this life that's just so full of emptiness. And to trust in Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one who deserves that greatest investment that you can ever make, which is your own soul. Let's pray together. Our Father.